It is the official welcome to the Drew Goodman podcast with Julie Brownman. I am Julie Brownman, and sitting across from me is Drew Goodman, who I met 25 years ago when I produced his radio show on K-Talk. It, at least then. Was it me and Hastings? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, my memories are, um, the music would start of the show, and then you would walk in. Do you know, I'm accused of that still to this day <laughs> when we do we do all the opens on AT&T Sportsnet live, right. which it should be. I always, I, I hate taping because you know what? Taping becomes an excuse for announcers, for truck to go, oh, you know what? The audio, there was a little audio glitch. Let's do it again. There was a video glitch. Or, you know, you are never as sharp as when you know you're going live. So I always want to do everything live that's awesome actually because that that's that's the real deal that is the real life. deal and you know what it, it goes back to at whatever levels you competed at athletically i mean you know the juices should be flowing but to your original point because you've known me for a long time and you tease me about this still incessantly i will i've i've been talking on television before they reveal us where it's like you know the, the title card and that sort of stuff. And Doug Marino, who's our statistician research guy who does an unbelievable job. Doug, you'll be like putting my coat on me still and like <laughs> straightening my tie. And it, the truck knows, but I have the best producers, Tavis and Allison. They they just, you know, it used to freak them out, but now they know that's me. I and love it. Wrong, and it's wrong, but it's you know, not wrong. It's part of, it's part, now it's become a game where like, okay, there's 30 seconds and, and we'll be on the road and the floor record's like, why are you not here? Oh, don't worry. I've not missed an open yet. I feel like the name of the podcast now should be It's Not Wrong. It's Not Wrong. Right? Anyhow, but real quick, going back to this whole podcasting, I love the idea of a podcast because, you know, you and I both have extensive radio backgrounds and there's always that Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday when you're talked out and you it's February and there's not great subject matter and you're like, we got to fill up another two hours and we have to fill another eight minutes in this segment and you're looking around and your eyes are watering over. Guess what? When we're done talking on this, <laughs> if we do eight minutes, we're done. And so if you start your workout and you're eight minutes in, you're like, wait a second, I got my workout, I'm on my bike, I'm all set for like 40 minutes of hard, great entertainment, sports entertainment. And then they're done in eight minutes. So you get a shorter workout that day. Yes. If I have nothing to say, I'm done. We are we are basically, we are here for you. So I was really excited about doing this podcast with you for all those reasons that we've known each other for a long time. But I also, one of the great things about podcasts is you can get so deep into things and have longer conversations and kind of peel the onion. And you've been doing sports and Denver broadcasting for a long time, doing so many different things, the Avalanche and the Nuggets, and now with the Rockies and a lot of college stuff. And for the Rockies, like, we get to, I think we're going to learn things on this podcast from you because, you know, TV, TV is like the shortest form, right, of even though baseball is a long game. But so I'm excited just to really get into things. And I guess starting off, you just wrote a book. If these walls could talk. Well, I, I wrote it in in collaboration with Ben Hockman, who used to work at the Denver Post. Yeah, great, great sports, writer. Great writer. Great sports columnist now for years, uh, last several years at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It was awesome for Ben to go back there. It's his hometown. And he called me. I'll give you the quick uh, Cliff Notes genesis of this. He called me. Oh, man, the, the fall of 2017. So the Rockies had just finished their their 
you know, little playoff run. Unfortunately, he lost down in Arizona in the wild card game. And he said that um, Triumph Books, who he had worked with on another project, was interested in having me write a book. Would I be interested? And I was like, you know, that's a bucket list thing. I, I enjoy writing. I, I had always wanted to do this. And I said, yeah, I'm all in. And um, I, I definitely want to do it. I talked to the Rockies about it, and, et cetera. And and then the process began, and Ben Ben was outstanding. You know, he that's what he does every day. I enjoyed the heck out of doing all the interviews and doing some of the writing. Ben did, a, you know, the bulk writing kind of thing. But um, fascinating project, and and I'm and I'm you know I'm pleased with with the outcome. I think if you're a Rockies fan, if these walls could talk, Colorado Rockies is not only a kind of a must read if you're a Rockies fan, but even if you're a casual baseball fan, uh, I, I think you'll find many of the stories in there entertaining. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. I've read the book. What are like uh, one or two stories you can share with our listeners that maybe haven't read it where you're that that was the most revealing or you get the most reaction from from people that are like, God, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of cool stuff. I think everybody who follows the Rockies knows that Todd Helton was uber superstitious, right? I mean, baseball players by nature are superstitious. And Todd took it to, you know, the 11th power. I mean, it was ridiculous. So here's a quick one. He has a um he has a good ball game the night before. And The next day, he's driving into the ballpark. He gets to the ballpark, and he goes, holy shit, I didn't replicate how I went to the ballpark the day before. Oh, geez. He leaves. He's at the ballpark. (laughs) He's checked in for work, okay? He turns around, and he goes all the way back home to Brighton, where he was living, and he realized that he was in the left-hand lane the whole way the day before, and then had gotten off and stopped to get... I don't know, a can of chew or, or, you know, something to eat real quick and then got back on. So he went back and replicated what he had done the day before and then got to the ballpark. So that whole round trip took him like an extra hour. He was already at the ballpark. I've never heard any athlete doing that. I know they're all superstitious, but I've never heard of somebody being like, okay, now I'm just going to go back and I'm going to replicate it. Do you remember what he did that night? Did it pay off? Um, who knows? Here's another here's another quick one. That this is in the book also. We're in Montreal, so this goes back when when the expos were in existence. And at its Stade Olympique, um, the the visiting hitting cage was right next to the television truck. And I roll in, and I'm you know the suit and tie, right? And Todd is is taking swings early against uh, a former coach by the name of Mike Hamilton, whose nickname was Milo, and. After the after the famous broadcaster. So I'm watching for a moment and Helton's wearing they're good friends, but he's wearing Mike out, so you're not throwing enough strikes, right? And finally Hamilton like throws a baseball down and he and he points to me, he goes, he goes, Drew, you throw to him. And so I take my jacket off, I take my tie off, loosen up my shirt, and I roll up my sleeves and I and I love throwing BP. As you know, I have three boys, so I'm you know, used to throwing. So I throw I throw to Todd and I'm getting a little sweat going and Mike's watching. <laughs> so this goes on for like fifteen minutes and and Helton's done. 
And he, and the one thing Mike said to me after, he goes, you better hope he doesn't get three hits tonight <laughs> because he, you'll be in there tomorrow doing the same thing. So That is funny. awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So that's in the book, uh, If These Walls Could Talk. We're going to talk more about the book, you know, as the podcast goes on and some of those stories. I think our listeners would love to hear. Speaking of players on the Rockies, now current players, you had a chance to catch up with Charlie Blackman before the All-Star break. And I know that we're taping this at a later date, but you had ended up taping that um, before the break. So we'll hear from Charlie next when we we come back. The Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Remember to download, subscribe, and like. You can also log on to our website, thedrewgoodmanpodcast.com, where you can contact us with any questions you might have, and you can also order Drew's book, and we know he would like that very much. Or send us your question directly on Twitter, at juliebrownman1 or at drewgoodman42. All right, we're going to get to the Charlie Blackman uh, interview part one here in a few moments, but I want to welcome uh, an old friend, but new to our program. You want to know why they're new to our program? Because our program is new. This podcast is new, and we're thrilled that Ideal Home Loans was the first to jump on. My buddy, Brent Ivinson, we've uh, been doing business together for several years. I am so proud to represent them. I do so on television and now on this podcast. Uh, thrilled to do it, because if you're in the need of a home loan or refinance, financing of your current loan, you need to call Ideal Home Loans. They're terrific at what they do. Hey, if you're new to Denver, they've been here for a long period of time and rates right now are near the lowest level of the year. So you want to take advantage of what they can do. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Their phone number is 303-867-7000. It's 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. All right, time to get back to our podcast with uh, Drew and Julie. And I had an opportunity to talk to Charlie Blackman recently. Now, I see Charlie every day. Charlie is an interesting cat, to say the least. It's good to be there. Uh, not everybody gets to be there. You know, that means a lot of things have gone right. Everything is right with the world. You know, you can't get elected to an all-star game and, and, and have things be bad, right? So that's, I mean, that's always great. I'll get to spend some time with my family. Um, and even a couple of friends will be there. So I'm excited about it. Is each one different now since you're a veteran of going to these things? The first one is completely different than the rest of them, I think. The first one's super special, and, and that's why I'm really happy to go and be there for David, his first one. And I was happy to be there uh, with Trevor last year in his first one. And it was just, it's going to, I mean, it's going to be great. Uh but I'll take the more relaxed approach this time. I'm going to pick and choose what I want to do and uh, sp- spend some more time with my family, maybe rest my body a little more than I did that first experience. Speaking of your body, and we've talked about this over the years, is it more of a physical grind or a mental grind playing as you do 150 plus? I think it's... I mean, I think everybody has the phys- the mental grind. You know, it's just it's the game's tough, and you got to come out and try and get a hit after you've been you know 0 for five the day before. I mean, everybody has that. Um, 
I do think that physically it's tough. It's tough, a little bit tougher to play in Denver. The length of the game is a big thing that nobody talks about. We play longer games in Denver. That's just how it goes. Um, you know, it's tougher to sleep there. Your recovery, you know, there's lots of things that go with playing in Denver that make it a little bit harder physically. Um, so it, it's both. It, it, and one can affect the other, right? If, if mentally you're having a, a rough go of it, you're not going to perform as well on the field. You're going to, you know, kill yourself in the cage or whatever, and it might pull you down physically and, and vice versa. You know, if, if, if you're banged up, if, the thing, if your body's not right, if you're super fatigued, it's going to be hard to slow the game down and, and really up that focus such, in such a way that you can be competitive on the field. It's a strange one, but again, we've had this conversation before. We've, we've added up when you were running out to center field, and especially if you're leading off the next inning or second, you know, you got to really stride it in. Have you noticed a little difference going to right field, especially at home, it's a little closer, than going to center, or is that, you know, it's, it's a negligible difference? I think it's a big difference, actually. Uh, I'm just involved in so many fewer plays. Uh, if it's not hit to right field, I almost don't do anything. You know, I, I sort of kind of move over there to back up first on, on balls on the you know left side of the infield. And, uh, but I'm not I'm not running in the gap nearly as much as Ian or David or whoever's playing center field. And I've noticed that it, it helps me a little bit. It helps me feel like you know inning to inning, it's more of a slow burn. You know, where I just keep the engine running and and that kind of thing where I feel like I would have lots of peaks and spikes in center field where I would have a, a really active inning run into the gap a couple times and make a couple plays or you know even if I didn't make the play a lot of times I'd have to be over there just because you got to back the guy up or there's a chance that you make the play so it's do you it's, miss any of it being out in the middle a little bit I, I like really being involved or at least watching how, how the pitcher's throwing the ball and like and how they're moving in and out and, and exactly where each pitch is going. And you miss some of that when you're on the corner. Uh, you know, I try to stay locked in as much as I can and, and see, you know, where the pitches are and how the swings are going. But it's, it's not quite as being in tune with the game as if you were in center field. Yeah, I remember when, when I did the book and we sat down and, and talked, one of the things that cracked me up, that Cargo told me, and he loves you, and I know you love him, but he said, I can't get Chuck to talk. He goes, we'll have a pitching change, and I'll go over there, and I'll try to crack him up, try to get him to talk, because I have said this many times on the air, you're one of the few people I've ever seen that truly, when you check in, you flip a switch. So Cargo would say, I love Chuck, but I can't even get him, I can't make him laugh during the game, even during a pitching change. Um... Yeah, yeah, I guess to to an extent, and I, I think everybody approaches the game differently, and that's uh, you know I was shocked that not everybody approaches the game the way I do. I'm like, why not? That's it's really important. It seems like it, and so I treat it as such. But the more I play, the more I realize that you know not talking doesn't necessarily help me play better. You know, maybe it doesn't. Uh, it's just I'm you know I want to try really hard and. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's different personalities. It's it's the way we approach the game. I think I've calmed down. Like in my old age, I think I'm a little less serious, and and I can 
be a little more uh, talkative during the game. And uh, I, I feel like I can still control the situation with less effort than I did when I was a little younger. Uh, and so that's allowed me to relax a little bit. But at the same time, it, it's I'm not always super happy out there. Are you having fun? I know that's not a strange question. You, you, you're playing a game that you're really good at. You work your tail off at it. You love to compete. Do you have fun night in and night out? Or are there some days you're like, this isn't fun. This is what I do. It's a grind. I really enjoy it. There are parts of it that... I don't and like I don't enjoy working out, but like mentally, I feel like if I'm not working out, I'm go, I'm letting I'm going to get hurt. I'm letting down the Rockies. Uh, you know, my team's not going to be as good. So there's parts where like I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to. Um, but m- by and large, like I enjoy pretty much everything I'm doing, and, and of course, all the baseball stuff is is the funnest part to me. I enjoy hitting. I enjoy competing. And, uh, it's always more fun when that leads to success, right? If, if you're not having success, that's that mental grind, and, and that makes the game harder, and it seems like you don't have quite as much fun without success. So I don't like to get my butt kicked, uh, but I, I think I still would be enjoying what I'm doing. Um, but it'll be a tough day when you know I can't compete, and, and hopefully that's 10 years from now. Uh, you know, that I won't be able to compete like I once was or once was able to, you know, that I think that'll make the game less fun for me. You know, that's a fear for any athlete. Truly is. And, you know, you're not 23 anymore. You're 33. You're having another phenomenal year. It started slow. And you weren't, by your standards, and you probably don't care about this, in, in March you weren't great, but you're getting yourself, you know how to get yourself prepared for the season. Was there, does an element of doubt ever enter your mind when two weeks into the season you're like, man, I'm hitting 180 or whatever the heck you were hitting, and now you're hitting, you know, you're, you're the league leader in just about everything? Uh, it's funny you say that because there's time where you're like you know like as good as players can be and as confident as you can be sometimes you don't know if you'll ever get another hit like that's just the truth of it like it is hard uh it's tough to to be on this field and and compete and and the guy on the mound is always you know really gunning for you right he's he's a professional he's getting paid he's really good at it um and there's just i mean there's times where it seems like it's been a while since you've been good. And, and that's where I think having a little bit of experience, knowing that you're never as bad as you seem and you're never as good as you seem you, as you feel as well. Just kind of knowing that, you know, eventually you'll be somewhere in the middle and, and you'll end up trending towards the player you've been for your whole career. And and so when I slump, I know that yeah, maybe I'm not this terrible of a player. And when I get really hot, yeah, you know, you're not going to hit 400. Um, so I just think you gotta you gotta be really good mentally to to write that shit when things don't go well. So I'm not just saying this. I really like your interviews because you tend to draw things out of guys that you don't normally hear. And I heard some things even from Charlie Blackman, who's been around for years, um, that is so interesting that he was really honest with you, which I thought was really great. Yeah, it's unusual when people are honest with me. (laughs) Right there, I love Charlie. Love Chuck. We'll dive into what Charlie said when we come back.
love about Charlie is many things. Charlie's an authentic guy. But maybe, Julie, more so, and we've both been around a lot of athletes in a lot of different circumstances for for 30-plus years. I'm not going to date you, me longer than you. Charlie is one of the few guys I've ever seen that literally, and we talked about it on the podcast, flips a switch when he checks in at 1 in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game or 6.40 at home. He is no longer the fun-loving you know, he wears the beard, obviously, that comes with him, but he, he's a different cat. I mean, he literally is laser focused from one until he finishes lifting after the game. That's right. He'll go lift weights after the game, eat a meal, and then he goes out and then, then he can be Chuck Nasty again and, and kind of be his, his personality. But, you know, you're not going to get a lot of chit-chat if you run into him at 3 in the afternoon. You've seen that in the clubhouse. Yeah, I was going to ask you. There's some guys, like the starting pitcher, you you don't talk to, right? Or the, That day, no. That, you just don't talk to him. But is it, because I don't go every day like you do, like, is it really noticeable? Like, you, you just leave, everybody leaves Charlie alone? I mean, I'll, I'll say hello to him and, yeah. and I'll pick my spots to you know, draw something out of him that, that maybe potentially I could use that evening mm-hmm. on the broadcast. But other than saying hello, if I, if I pass him in the hallway or whatever, um, you know, I, I, again, I pick my spots because he, not that other guys aren't focused, but everybody has a unique personality and he has a, has a fun loving personality. We did a radio show together, uh, for a couple of years and, you know, he's great and fans gravitate naturally toward him and they see that he's a bright, fun loving guy. But you'd be shocked, that same fan, if you saw him inside the clubhouse and how methodically he goes about his business, watching his video. Here's another thing. I'll give you an example. When he goes in the cage, Dave Magadan's the hitting coach, Jeff Salazar, the assistant hitting coach, he will take what's known as front toss. Which is which is underhand, just getting loose. He always takes it. I I believe it's five paces. He wants to be at fifteen feet. It can't be at sixteen feet or fourteen feet. He'll go walk it off in the cage, right? And then he wants. Typically, Buddy will throw to him, especially if there's a left hander. And Buddy will really throw. You know, he'll he still reach back. Yeah, I mean, but sure, Buddy. I mean, he was. You know, he still yeah. can throw. He'll throw sliders. He'll mix in stuff. And that has to be at, I believe, 33 feet when he's taking BP. I mean, so everything is to a certain exactitude in his mind. That is how thorough he is in his preparation. And so, yeah, he doesn't have time for a little chit chat. You know what I thought was also interesting about that interview is you don't hear a ton of athletes like he basically admitted when he's in a slump, he's like, God, I don't even I never know if I'm going to get this hit again. That's that's pretty um it's pretty vulnerable. You know, there are a lot of guys just just say, oh, it's, you know, I just do what I do. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out. But to kind of get that insight that he's thinking that even though he's one of the best baseball players out there, I thought it was really interesting about him. It makes him even more likable. It speaks not only to Charlie, it speaks to the game itself. And I, I think we talk about it a lot on television, whether it's me and Huey or, or me and Spilly uh, in the booth, that this game, no matter how gifted, unless let's be honest the worst major league player is a phenomenal player if you go to his hometown they're still telling stories about when he came up through high school and oh my goodness this guy was the you know the greatest thing we've ever seen in these parts right the game tears you down you take charlie blackman like you said julie he's one of the best players in major league baseball 
And if you're in a slump, even though you can look at the back of your baseball card and say, I'm a four-time All-Star, I, I won a batting title, I've hit 30, you know, nine home run or 37 home runs in a game, I've stolen 40-plus bags, you go, wait a second, I suck right now. I, I may not, like he said, I may not get another hit. And it's hard to fathom that for you and me and for a fan. How can this guy, that talented, all of a sudden be in a slump and he's and he's 0 for 12 and think, man, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, put the barrel of the, of the bat on the baseball again. It, it, that That is not unique to Charlie. It is unique to the game of baseball. And it, everybody who's ever played it, even at the highest level, knows that feeling. Speaking of unique, I mean, automatically, Charlie is one of a kind because you just look at him and you go, okay, that guy looks different. You know, I mean, really, like, but th there is a thing about the beard. I mean, it's it's men, women, it's the beard. But there's not just that, but his attitude, the the switch. I mean, how unique is Charlie? You've run across so many baseball players, but is he kind of in that separate group? Like, that is one of a kind, dude. He is one of a kind guy. I... You know what cracks me up a little bit? The pseudo tough guy coming out of the bullpen with, you know, he's got facial hair and therefore he's a tough guy. And nobody wants to, to face him. I mean, it's part of the image of I'm a late inning reliever, right? Well, Charlie, obviously, he's not a, he's not a pitcher. Used to be years ago in college briefly, not briefly for a while. And, um, but no, that's Charlie that he grew this beard. You know, what's funny. And this will come out in segment two. His wife has never seen him without a beard. In podcast two, we're going to hear that his wife, so she met him with a full-on beard. Right. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Now, you know, he's, he's, he's hooked up now. He's married, right? Okay. Charlie Blackman, beard or no beard, Julie? Uh, I like You're no good-looking Chiquita. What, Char <laughs> he's beard a, or no beard? He's a handsome man. I'm just going to say that, whatever he does. He's got it going on without the beard, for sure. And he's so, got it going on with the beard. I just I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean. You'll know, you know that about me. We're going to get off track here. From, have you ever dated a guy with a beard? No, I've dated a guy with a goatee. Okay. I really like that. Not you a like beard. You like the goatee, not, not the beard? Because mm -mm. you know? I would be, I'm a little, like, if you're Charlie's age with a beard, that's cool and hip. If you're my age and you're a guy with a beard, then you are a mountain man that doesn't see a lot of people. Right? <laughs> 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 like, there's a difference. I think it's hip and cool. In your 20s and early 30s, when you're later 40s, it's like, ugh, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. There's things you can't pull off in life. There's a whole long <laughs> yes. list of things that, you know, I, you know, middle-aged guy wearing a Speedo does not work, right? <laughs> right. Most exactly. guys wearing a Speedo does not work. Yeah. Um, beard on most guys don't work. Plus, aren't you concerned if you have that big beard that, you know, if you were... I don't want to go too far down this path, but intimately involved with this person, you may, there may be like lunch from four days ago that you <laughs> yeah. find in there. I think about crumbs. I mean, really, because right. that's probably, yeah, where it goes. But yeah. for a guy, okay, so that's a woman's point of view. But I feel like guys think Charlie's really cool too. Like there's some men that are just universal with men and women. Don't you think that? Like guys are like, that dude is cool. I'd yeah. like to be that guy. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely something to that where there's some people that women, find irresistible or attractive and guys are like yeah whatever pretty boy right mm -hmm. and then there's guys that go no nope, good looking dude cool guy you know he's a guy's guy too and he happens to be a ladies man also <laughs> right. right yeah you know ch listen charlie charlie's 
Charlie's confident in who he is. And I, I think anybody that's confident in who they are mm-hmm. is attractive. So, Charlie, you're an attractive man. <laughs> is he? He's confident in who he is. Would you count him as one of the leaders of this Rockies team? Absolutely. Le- leadership, Julie, again, you know this, comes in different forms. I think most people believe the leader is the vocal guy. Not that Charlie can't be vocal. He picks his spots, I'm sure. And it's not like I, I'm behind closed doors every day in the clubhouse and, and hear every conversation. I don't. That's not, you know, that's for players only. Even coaches and, and, and Buddy, the manager, they stay out of the, the clubhouse is for the players. The manager doesn't kick up, you know, his feet and, and sit in the clubhouse. He has his own office. The coaches have their own space. That is the sh- sanctuary of the players. And he will pick his spots, I know, because I've talked to him about this, to go over and talk to a younger player or to say a certain thing. But his leadership is more demonstrative, I think. It's what we were talking about earlier, how he goes about his business, how it doesn't deviate. It's not like Wednesday, you know what, I don't feel like lifting today or I don't feel like watching video on this guy. I've seen him a couple times before. Everything he does is the same in his preparation. And I think if you're a young player or even a player that's been around and is new to the Rockies, you see that and you go, man, this guy's been unbelievably successful. Look how he does it. That's leadership to me. So, yes, he's a leader. If somebody said, okay, Drew, you got it. Who is the leader of this team? If you had to pick one guy, and again, it's not just the guy that gets up in the rah-rah, maybe leadership by example. I don't know. I mean, it changes kind of every year. That Some veterans left last year that we thought were – big part of the leadership group. So who is it this year? Yeah, and you're I know who you're referencing, Cargo, mm-hmm. obviously, who's who was adored in in that clubhouse and adored by fans and rightfully so, one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in sports. I mean, you know, in the book I, I talk about probably my all time favorite Rockies, Carlos Gonzalez. He had, you know, such a, a marvelous personality. You'd see it, Julie. I mean he he would he would have a great smile on his face. He's such a warm Person. Good and bad when the team was doing well. And, when the team you know, was doing, even when yep. he wasn't doing well, he was team first. Yeah. Um, you, he would always meet the media. He didn't get in a personality funk. If he wasn't performing well, he was the same guy. And he transcended the clubhouse, not just in the Latin quarter. I mean, uh, the other guy who did that was Gerardo Parra. And Gerardo was this, you know, he had he had such a great personality and would shout things out, and everybody loved Gerardo. Charlie, in particular, loved Gerardo. You know, whenever Charlie would hit a home run, and the last guy in the receiving line in the dugout, you probably saw this on television a lot, was Gerardo, and you give him the big bear <laughs> hug, and they had a thing, and it was wonderful. I mean, you you loved it as a fan. I loved it as a broadcaster, and so you lost two dynamic personalities. To answer your question, because I got long winded, which I do once in a while or all the time. Um, <laughs> Um, Charlie's a leader. Um, Nolan, the way he goes about his business, obviously a leader. Ian Desmond, and I know Ian was often criticized. His first couple of years, he was hurt for the first time. His first year, last year, you know, didn't hit for a great average. If if you subscribe to batting average, but he, you know, he hit twenty plus home runs, twenty plus uh, stolen bases, drove in eighty eight. And this year, other than April, he's having a really good year. Desi is a natural born leader. And I don't know if everybody realizes that. But that that's kind of my long-winded answer to your question. On future podcasts, we are going to talk more about Ian Desmond because he's I think he's fascinating and polarizing for Rockies fans. But there's much more. And you know him a lot better than other people do. Okay, when we come back, we're going to play a game. 
Ready a game? Games? Yeah. Beautiful. Here we go. Do I know anything about this game? You know nothing. Which is typical of most things in life <laughs> for me. It's our first game of the Drew Goodman podcast. The first game we're going to call This or That. Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner? Oh, man. Well, for what? I mean, I'm just saying it, it's whatever you interpret. You know what I was thinking, actually, when we're talking about the trade line deadline coming up? They were talking about Madison Bumgarner, and then I was just thinking about Clayton Okay, Kershaw. here's my answer. Ready? Yeah. Regular season, I'll take Kershaw. Postseason, I, I want if we're taking on Mars or Pluto, <laughs> we find that there's actually life there and they're really hysterically good in baseball. Yeah. I got Mad Bum on the mound. I love Mad, his competitive nature. Matt he's the best. Yeah. I love Mad Bum. Who doesn't love what he did for the Giants that year after pitching one day, he goes, Give me the baseball and you think, okay, maybe you can get a couple innings out of him. Bruce Bochy would have had to call in Green Berets, SEAL Team 6 to get his ass off the mound. And and it was a done deal. He was not giving up a run. It was a done deal. Mad bum in the postseason. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. And by the way, he's not afraid to pitch at Coors Field. You know, numbers may be inflated. He's, he's truly, truly a tough guy and a good guy. Big fan of Mad bum. Do you think he'd ever want to pitch at Coors Field? Uh, he wouldn't be afraid to. Okay. I know where you're going with that. Let's just, he, would, he would not be afraid to. We're some pitchers. I talked to I it. talked to Walker Bueller mm-hmm. when he was out here, and he's a phenomenal talent. Mm-hmm. And he said flat out, he said, "I could never, I would never sign here. What a I don't wimp. care. I could, I don't care. And you know what? His family lives here. He said, "I could never pitch here every fifth day." Wow, that's kind and of. I'm not revealing. throwing him under the bus. No. He's phenomenal. But there's some guys who who are afraid, don't have the mindset to do it. Um, and there are others who say, you know, they'll they'll embrace it. Okay, right now, as we tape this podcast on July 11th, John Gray or Herman Marquez, which one do you take? Go. You know what? I, I would take Herman because I think Herman is, you know, John has great stuff. I think Herman has great stuff. Um, I, I love his presence on the mound. I love how tough he is. And in the same breath that I that I would. Take Herman because he has a chance to be, you know, one of the eight, 10, 12 best pitchers in baseball. He wasn't the second half of last year. You can look it up statistically. Um, and then hopefully he has a big second half as he did last year. He's, you know, he's been solid in the first half. I'm really, sounds like I'm his dad, what I'm about to say. I'm really proud of John Gray. There's been so much growth in John because we know he has the physical attributes. Um, but John. I think is showing a lot of Rockies fans that he's got some toughness and some substance to him. And he's been really, really solid in the first half. So it's not like slam the gavel down, take him on. I think if the Rockies are going to get back to the promised land, John Gray is going to be a big part of that. Um, but if you, you know, you put a gun to my head and say, I'm playing this game. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take her on. Rocky mountain oysters or a tongue sandwich. Oh my goodness! This flashes back to my youth. Me too. Cause, cause I had to eat those those tongue sandwiches. Right. So I'm, I'm <gasps> here's the deal. So I'm from, as you know, I'm from New York. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about that generation. I'm referring to our parents' generation. My dad still will have tongue sandwiches. New York delicatessens are the best. They don't like weigh the meat. They slice the meat <laughs> and they have a conversation with you. And the next thing is you have like a stack of of 
turkey or whatever you ordered so big on a hoagie or sub that you can't even get your mouth around it. My dad would order tongue sandwiches regularly. I have never, nor will I ever, have a tongue sandwich. I probably have had a Rocky Mountain oyster at some point. I'm not like running down there to have Rocky Mountain oysters, so I would guess it would be a Rocky Mountain oyster. The other thing I didn't have to have when I was growing up, so the only time I didn't have to eat what my mom cooked, was liver. They, you know, it's like that was a special meal. Liver you had liver, onions. liver and onions. Mm-hmm. I'm out on that. <laughs> I I had to eat it. I'm out on it for the rest of my life. No, no tongue for sandwich. For the rest of my life. Okay. Uh, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady? Patrick Mahomes. Really? Yeah. Because he's uh, young. He's dynamic. I love his personality. Do you, do you know who um, represents him, does all his marketing? Hmm. David Dahl's wife, Jacqueline. Oh, that's right. I read that story in the Denver Post. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as talented as Bradley Chubb, too. Yeah. As talented as David is, how about how about his wife? Patrick Mahomes is a big ass client. You right? think? Yeah. And I don't think last season was a fluke. Like Hell he's no. the real deal. He's the real deal. You know, he's a good looking kid. He's got great personality. Um listen, Brady Brady's I, I guess the term we all use now, he's the goat, right? Mm-hmm. Brady's been great. You know, he's got a good-looking wife. <laughs> you think? On that regard, yeah. She's, she looks like she's not very friendly, to be perfectly no, honest. No, I agree with you. I, like, don't th- I, don't think she's, I don't think she's warm and Warm and fuzzy. Friendly. Like, I still see her in that elevator, right, the, where they, she blamed everybody else because they didn't yeah. win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but no, I would, I would take Patrick Mahomes. I think he'd be more... You know what it should come down to? Who would you rather have a beer with right now? And I, I think Patrick Mahomes would be fun to have. And not that Tom Brady wouldn't, but I, I'd go Patrick Mahomes. Okay, a one to nothing baseball game or a fourteen to thirteen game. That's I, a good question. I, that's yeah. a great question, Julie, and it, and it leads us not today, but to another topic where people are freaking out about the home runs and and the, and Justin Verlander, the ball's juiced. Well, you know, is it a bad thing? We we'll get into that at a different time. I grew up with a lot of one nothing, two one games. I was a Mets fan, Tom Seaver, and you know they had a big, great pitching staff with Jerry Kuzman and John Matlack, et cetera. Dwight Gooden eventually. Um, there's great intrigue and drama in a one nothing game because you get a guy to to second and and you're almost on the edge of your seat because you can score a run. I, I would say this. I, I love I love the one nothing game. Uh, I think occasionally, you know, where we live, we see a lot more 14, 13 high scoring games. Those are really entertaining. We become accustomed to that. Um, I, I'd like to see a mix of both. So I'm on the fence. Last one, black coffee or mocha frappuccino, venti size. You know me, mocha frappuccino. I can't drink black coffee. I've never had black coffee. It's are you serious? No. Zip. I, I came in today to do our first podcast, and I'm, I I got away from the foo-foo. For years, I did mocha. All my partners could order it. It was um, venti, decaf, um, mocha with what did I, what did I have? Um, you know, whipped with, cream. with whipped cream. Oh, God. I just lost some respect. <laughs> right. So I was doing that forever, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to drop some of the calories off that. So now I get a... Um, uh, a decaf Americano with room, and I put a little half and half in it and two raw sugars. So that's how we're going to end our first podcast. That was fun. We did our first podcast. Congratulations. Congratulations to you too. We lived. We'll see you next week. I'm invited back. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And remember, check out our website at thedrewgoodmanpodcast.com. Thank you.